Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing, where each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom from the female perspective. Everything from Star Wars, to The Office, to cosplay, to fanfic. It's all right here, so sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. And this is our final episode celebrating celebrating Pride Month, excuse me. And we are going to be talking about a topic that covers a wide range of things, so we will definitely have to revisit it in the future. We're going to be talking about representation in film. And if we get to it, we're going to talk a little bit about the future of representation in film, maybe just talk about the way it's looking right now in the late um, 2000s and beyond that. That. So before we get into that, um, I want to, again, just quickly mention that we now um, have sponsorships. So if you want to sponsor the podcast for as little as 99 cents a month, you can do that by just simply clicking on our anchor page and you should be able to just quickly join there. Um, and you can, like I said, it's a monthly donation of 99 cents to all the way up to $9.99 that you can make. And from now until September 1st, we will be donating everything we receive from that to various uh, Black Lives Matter charities. Um, And we have quite a list that we have going of ones that we would like to donate to or that I would like to donate to. And also, like I said before, if anyone knows of any other charities that may be getting lost in the shuffle, please feel free to reach out to us. One of the ones um, that we are donating to is the Okra Project, which I urge everybody to go and seek that out. And even if you don't make a contribution to us or anything like that, please just go on there and seek them out because um, they they help a lot of black trans people. So that's a really, really good organization. Um, and then also we are once again doing ads. So I've added them to a lot of our previous episodes. So it's just one ad right now. But again, like I said before, any money we receive from that will be donated to Black Lives Matter charities. Um, all the way through at least September 1st. And then after that, we'll look at doing a portion to to Black Lives Matter organizations. And then in the future, we will keep, you know, donating to various organizations that need our help. Okay, so now let's go around and have everybody introduce themselves and tell me one thing that they're excited about right now in pop culture. Start with you, Eli. Uh, hello, my name is Eli Bazan, uh, co-founder of Parasol Patrol. Uh, one thing I have to admit, it's driving caution nuts. It even starting to bug me a little bit. Uh, anytime that I'm channel surfing and a Marvel movie comes up, it, it is getting put on the screen. Uh, <laughs> way too much Marvel movies right now. <laughs> what was the last one you watched? Um, yeah, it, it was uh, Civil War was the last one. Yep. Okay. I've act- yeah, actually, I haven't seen that one. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's terrible, but yeah, I actually haven't seen that one. But <laughs> pretty good, pretty good. 
Yeah, yeah. And we're going to be doing a Marvel episode soon. We pushed it. We were going to be doing it earlier, but with everything getting delayed, it's going to be... I think they've pushed Black Widow now to... Uh, I think we're going to be doing it in November, I believe. So, yeah. So we'll be doing that episode. Wow. And and then Pasha? Um, I'm Pasha. Uh, and I'm, I'm the other co-founder of the Parasol Patrol, since you mentioned that. And... Um, I don't know if this is pop culture or not, but um, uh, anything to do with anti-racism, I am, I, I, I've had to really temper my social media stuff because I just want to um, be very extremely blunt and vocal and probably use a lot of very strong language and, uh, <laughs> And uh, since our, our, our job works with kids, I have to kind of be careful what I say on social media. Uh, and uh, so that, that is actually pretty much consuming for me more than any TV or, oh, that, and I, I'm listening to the audio books from David Wong, the, um, oh, shoot. I'm, I'm, I've been listening to them. Oh, like uh, John Dies at the End. Have you heard of those? Yes, I have heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, those are hilarious. So that's, that's basically it. And I think <laughs> they made a movie of John dies at the end. I'm pretty sure. Sh- yeah. That's what I thought. I haven't seen it though. It's, it stars Paul Giamatti and I have yeah. not seen it. So. Yeah. I'm, I haven't seen it either, funny. but. Yeah. Yeah. And then Sarah. Yeah, I'm Sarah Alder. I live in Aurora, Colorado, and right now I am kind of bouncing back and forth between re-obsessing about Sense8. I love that show. I fangirl that one so hard. Um, And I'm watching Queen of the South, which I love that show. And um, I'm trying to get off of electronics and screen time as a little bit at least every day and so i'm actually researching the history of coffee shops and coffee so oh wow it's quite interesting and i'm a huge coffee junkie so i'm excited to learn more of that huh wow that's that's yeah i that just makes me think of when i was a teenager and spending hours upon hours upon hours at places here drinking coffee yep. like muddies and paris on the plaid and yeah and that's where like that. oh, i had our first flat. date <laughs> yeah oh, paris paris on the plaid i haven't thought of that place in well, sorry a long time i just yeah. flashed my gothic days after after <laughs> the crypt on sunday night and and everybody would then go to paris on the plaid so yeah anyway yep sad it's sad to me that that place is closed even though i haven't been there in years but it's still sad to me most of those places that i went to are closed (laughs) so except for denny's and stuff (laughs) yeah my ultimate goal is to actually open my own coffee shop and so i have a big idea about that i won't share it on here but um yeah i'm doing all the research about the history of coffee shops so that way i can bring that whole dynamic of coffee shops what they were to me growing up and during my teenage years and my my old goth days too where it was an experience to go and have coffee and enjoy that time and space with your friends instead of being plugged in at a coffee shop at starbucks you know so be a totally different environment but yeah more to come on that later well that's awesome cool cool 
And this is Aaron. And um, I have another depressing recommendation here. Posh and I were talking before we started about how much we love depressing, <laughs> depressing things. But this is more depressing because of um, the subject matter. And it's, it's the documentary On the Record, which is on HBO Max, which, once again, I highly recommend HBO Max. Um, and this is all about uh, the women who um, have come public with their accusations of being sexually assaulted and raped by Russell. Uh, yeah, um, they have come out and said they were raped by Russell Simmons. Wow. And this documentary also talks a lot about how uh, black women have been sort of lost in the Me Too movement um, and haven't oh, wow. um, been focused on enough. Um, even though Me Too was um, started by Toronto Burke, who is a black woman. Um, but black women have been lost in the shuffle there. And also it talks a lot about how black women struggle with feeling like they sh- whether or not they should come forward because they've always been so protective of black men, especially if it's a black man that has, has um, attacked them because of, you know, the history behind um, so many white women in the past, you know, maybe you know, a black man flirted with them, winked at them, or maybe they didn't even do that. And then them being lynched. So because of that history, uh, a lot of black women have sort of shied away from coming forward, which is very, very sad. And so this is a very, very hard documentary to watch, but I highly, highly recommend it because, you know, if you support the Me Too movement, we have to support everybody who comes forward in the Me Too movement. So Yes, yeah, so I recommend that. And once again, that's on HBO Max. Okay, right. so so let's get into representation in film. Um, and I'm just going to briefly go over a little bit of the early representation just because there's so much to cover here. And I want to make sure that we get into as much of the present day and 90s and AIDS, AIDS epidemic coverage as we can. Um, but a little quick history. And I I didn't really even know a lot of this, honestly, until I looked it up. But um, the first kiss between two members of the same sex was actually in a film in 1922. It was Cecil B. DeMille's Manslaughter. And Marlena Dietrich was the first leading lady to kiss another female on screen um, in 1930s Morocco. So, yeah. So, so, and that's, that's just, I honestly didn't know that and I've studied film and gone to film school and didn't know that so I thought that so I found that really 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 fascinating when I was researching this topic um does anyone want to add anything about the really early time or anything like that before we get into a little bit of um some of the bad stereotypes that happened early on well I I you put on the list some like it hot Mm -hmm. and it was it was direct it was produced and directed by Billy Wilder Wilder, who for the longest time I thought he was probably gay and he's not but he's done so much, especially in his earlier work for gay cinema. He yeah. wanted, for instance, um, oh shoot, what is the name of that movie? Uh, Jack uh, Lemon's character uh, is on an airplane with um, another character, oh. and he he pitched that. Jack Lemmon's character to be gay because it was there was a lot of you know uh, subtext there and uh, they, of course they did not allow that but in uh, one of his movies it was about a German POW camp 
And it they had this whole scene of American prisoners of war ha- having a dance and them dancing very intimately together to a song called I Love You. And so he's he's done a lot um, to kind of before anybody else did to further that. So anything by Billy Wilder, his early stuff anyways, is, is great. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I know some people though have criticized some like it hot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because of its, yeah, its can, fiction. Yeah. And, and I, there, there are things I like about some like it hot and things I don't. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. some, of course that whole thing of pansyism and, and uh, the mincing and stuff really kind of is of course horrible, but Jack Lemmon's character kind of comes into his own um, through dr- through dressing as a woman. So, I don't know. It's yeah, a mixed that's, that's, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, and have, um, Eli, have you seen some Like It Hot? <clears throat> I have not, actually. <laughs> I have not. Yeah, yeah it's actually a really good one to check out. But Yeah. Yeah, did you see it, Sarah? Have you seen that one, too? I have not. The only one that was the older one on the list that I started watching that I thought was interesting was Glenn or Glenda. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. Edward <laughs> films are interesting. It was, <laughs> I don't know if you want to start talking about that one yet, but that one was definitely interesting. Yeah, no, we can go into that one. We've talked about Sun Like It Hot and Glenn or Glenda came out um, a few years before that. And as everybody knows, Ed Wood, you know, Ed Wood kind of created the B movie. If you really, I mean, he was one of the big creators of that, you know, and mm-hmm. yeah, he's, he's, he's a very interesting guy. He's very cool, but yeah. So what are your, what are your thoughts on Glenn or Glenda then? I I thought it was interesting seeing the opening scene. It was like a mix of um, the outer limits and yeah, American, the uh, what, is, what is that? Uh, mystery science theater opening. It was like <laughs> mystery, like, but what about man's mind? And it's this complex thing. And then it pans into this whole experience. And I think it really, the opening scene really captured like what it would probably be like to experience being somebody who is transgender or gender non-conforming during that time period where they had their suicide letter actually say I would rather die wearing what I feel comfortable in than be arrested and treated differently and that really spoke volumes to that whole experience of being transgender and nothing has really changed throughout history when it comes to that but I also really appreciated how the inspector was really curious and wanted to understand the dynamics of what was going on and went to the psychologist or the doctor to be educated on it, which is really uncommon. And so for that to be portrayed in that early uh, stage of cinema was amazing to see. So um, definitely wanted Mm -hmm. to make sure I touched that. Yeah. It it opens with, the suicide note of Pat, uh, you know, the suicide of Patrick, Patricia, and mm-hmm. uh, who had been arrested four times for cross-dressing and actually had been in prison for it. So, um, and that's why they committed suicide. And, and yeah, that quote you were talking about, I, I actually, yeah. And, and one of the things that Edward was very specific about is that 
transvestitism, back then transvestitism was the commonly used term, was not the same as homosexuality. That gender was not the same as sexual preference, well, not preference, but, you know, orientation. So, so it's, it's, you know, it, it's just kind of, uh, of course it goes into fetishism and BDSM and, mm-hmm. and crazy devils and dreams and stuff like that. It's a crazy movie, but it's, and it's not a great movie, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's, it's almost like, it's almost like he deliberately sets out at the very beginning this is what I'm going to tell you about in this movie. And at the end, in the summary, he, it's almost like it reminded me of the, the five paragraph essays we had to write in college where you, the first <laughs> paragraph was, was uh, you know, lay out all your stuff and, and then lay out three things that you're going to. And then each paragraph after that was one of those three things. And then the end paragraph was the summary of, of the whole thing. And but mm-hmm. I digress. It's. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And we'll have to do um, an episode at some point about Ed Wood because and I'm amazed I haven't I didn't put this on the outline because anyone who listened to our cult films episode knows that that's when Aaron discovered her undying love for John Waters that I didn't even realize how much I loved John Waters until we were discussing him. But I think if Ed wouldn't if Ed Wood hadn't been around, we wouldn't have John Waters. Um, and we'll and and we can get into some of his movies in a little bit here, but yeah, he's he's very 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 similar to John Waters in a lot of ways. I mean, and that was in the fifties. And granted, his film Edward's films are more you know like cult status, but he's still pushing the boundaries. Back then was a was a big mm-hmm. deal. I mean, you didn't really see that that much back then. Um, which leads me to a lot of what you would see, especially in the 60s, 70s, and then the 80s as well, is a lot of you would see gay men and women portrayed as um, either um, like villains or sadists or very depressed or asexual, not asexual, but um, like sexless, basically. Um, you would see them be murdered a lot or you would see them like I said be the villains um and then of course you had the bury your gaze trope that came about a lot um so you didn't really see very positive depictions of anybody in the LGBTQ community um and very often really and I can't really think of many early on in the 60s that had too many positive depictions of it um I don't know if you guys can think of any that were pretty positive. Um, do you guys have any? I really can't think of any. I mean, nothing positive. Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of, kind of the exact opposite for me. I mean, cruising was was a brutal watch as a teenager. Yeah. Um, I don't know how that slipped in uh, past my parents, but I remember watching that and just going, you know, th- this is just a, a crazy, evil, um, th- 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 just the entire lifestyle just must be demonic and horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as a, a man who would grow up and be involved in love and lifestyle, I realized that nothing could be further from the truth. So um, it was, I, I remember seeing it though, and just being terrified. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, and if people don't know what cruising is, um, cruising is basically about a, a serial killer who preys on gay men and a police detective goes undercover in the underground S&M gay subculture of New York City. And it's a v- very negative depiction. 
Um, and Al Pacino is is the star of it too, in case people didn't know that. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's 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 one of those that's often mentioned as one of the more negative films for sure. Um, and you even had, I mean, Children's Hour, while it did depict a um, relationship between two women, you did have a, um, I believe it was a suicide, a suicide in that one. Um, mm-hmm. Shirley MacLaine's character. Yeah, yeah. She hangs herself after she admits her love. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. Uh, she, yeah. She declares her undying love to Audrey Hepburn and then, yeah. And then of course mm-hmm. has to die because that's bad. And, yeah. uh, and especially with, uh, people in the trans community, I mean, the list is just an ending of how they've been vilified. Um, Everything, I mean, the one, one of the horror films that won an Academy Awards, Silence of the Lambs, Mm -hmm. was just, you know, icing on the cake of movie after movie where, where, uh, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. there was one movie I remember watching when I was a kid with Raquel Welch, and she was a teacher, and she was, and it was edited, but she was Mm -hmm. essentially assaulting boys that were her students and at the end it turns out that no Raquel Welch was born male and so therefore was that that was my first encounter as a kid with anyone from the quote-unquote trans community um that you know and and everything from there was just so awful for the longest time and also of course this happens, and this is just a product of, of, of our time. Not a lot of trans actor, you know, actors are, are booked to play trans people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And we'll definitely be getting into that. Yeah. Cause, and I mean, when you have so many negative depictions or if you have a depiction of, you know, if, if you are going to come out, then your life is going to be filled with tragedy and you're going to end up dying or killing yourself or you, you don't deserve happiness. When you see that, that, that portrayal, it's such a negative stigma to put out there. And that's what people see and people will believe what they see in the media, in media and what they see in film. So they'll believe that that's actually true. And just imagine you're watching those when you haven't come out and, you know, the pain that can cause to people to feel like, okay, well, then that means that my life isn't going to be happy or good or anything like that. Um, Did you have anything to add with that, Sarah? I I just want to piggyback on what you were saying about the terror of seeing that experience, seeing that be your potential experience that could really be... um, a way to keep a person from becoming who they are. So they main maintain their identity and their cl- in the closet and keep it hidden. And then it just creates this horrible self hatred and fear of being yourself. And it's, it just, um, it creates an internal prison for people who are trans and, and it's heartbreaking, but it does happen. And mm-hmm. But the direction that we are going with media and film towards the trans community is amazing. And I love the direction we're going. And uh, we have more positive representation. And uh, we can get more into that in a little bit. Yeah. 
Yeah. Does anyone want to add anything else about any of the negative depictions or anything like that before we get into um, the AIDS epidemic? I have Just a couple. Go ahead, Eli. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it's okay. Um, it's that it can go both ways. I mean, some shows that are really doing great things can sometimes um, make a misstep. Um, I will always uh, bring it back to uh, – uh, to wind on Earth every chance I get. Um, they do really great in, in some aspects, but their first gay character, um, their first gay man, they spent this episode building it up. It was beautiful, and he fell in love with, with another character, and it was beautiful, and they killed him and never mentioned him again in the episode. So, I mean, it can go both ways. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll definitely have to talk about that sometime with television, because television... Still has a, at least at least um, network television ha- has a long way to come with that. I think to go mm-hmm. with that. I mean, especially the network CW. We will definitely do a show calling them out because they have issues galore with a lot of um, mm-hmm. these toxic tropes. So yeah, and not just not just the bury your gaze trope either, but they have lots of toxic tropes that they do. Um, Okay, and did I'm sorry, Sarah. Was there something else you were going to add, or Pasha? Yeah, I'm, I was going to share some of the movies that I remember seeing when I was younger. The movie Tootsie. I don't know if you oh, ever yeah. saw that one. Oh, yeah. Dustin Hoffman when he was dressed up as uh, I totally forgot his character's name, but that was an interesting representation. Even just like uh, the representation of Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, uh, Robin Williams did an amazing portrayal of her, and they and the way that they portrayed her as a character was really amazing. But I think it made it more accessible and and acceptable because Robin Williams was portraying an older woman. So it was like, oh, it's it's not sexualized, so it's safe. Uh, mm-hmm. some some dynamic so uh, the only other movie that I can think of that I remember watching um, is the movie Normal I don't know if you've ever seen that one um, it's I forget who was in it but it was a man in his like 50s or 60s and he goes to his retirement party at his work and then he just ha- he has a total like meltdown or something like that and he slowly comes out of the closet as a trans man a uh, trans woman and wants to transition and goes through that whole experience so it was really interesting seeing that side of the portrayal of the coming out process of, and how uh, a lot of older generation people wait until their family and their life and their career is all taken care of before they can become themselves. So that really speaks to the closeting dynamic that we've pushed the trans community into uh, through our media and through um, movie representation. Like, okay, well, you're going to stay here until it's safe enough for you or if we will allow you out. So that was a good depiction of that journey for mm-hmm. a person who's trans. And that was the and one with like- Jessica Lang. Right, I and think just, so. Yeah, yeah, just, just, mm-hmm. yeah. But there and was Tom Wilkinson. Yeah, you you mentioned Robin Williams, and then we we're talking about trans, and it reminded me of one of my actually a movie I really love, um, The World According to Garp, where John Lithgow plays a trans woman, and uh, there's 
there's one of my favorite all-time favorite movie quotes but this may be a family movies um, a family podcast so I won't repeat it no now. it's okay it's okay I have some that are I have had tons that are explicit so you can go ahead well in the world according to Garp uh Robin Williams giving away a plot point uh pulls into his driveway with his kids they had a habit of turning off their lights and the headlights and just coasting into their driveway down a hill well it turns out that his wife was having an affair and was doing something in the front seat of the car to her her lover and was rear-ended by the car and John Lithgow later says I had mine removed under anesthesia I couldn't imagine having it bitten off in a Buick (laughs) oh god (laughs) oh lord (laughs) I feel like I've seen that in another thing (laughs) yeah John Lithgow's character in that is just um, unsexed, desexed, no romantic love interest, nothing like that. But the portrayal itself was very, I think, realistic and loving. And I just wish they had been able to, at the time, get a trans person to play it. So, mm-hmm. that's yeah. That. <laughs> yeah, that would have been good. Okay, well, let's get into um, what started happening. Uh, you would start to see the depiction of the AIDS epidemic. That became sort of the biggest trend of movies that would feature gay men. Um, And, of course, probably the most well-known movie that deals with that would be Philadelphia, uh, Mm -hmm. which stars Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington. And if you don't know, it's about um, Tom Hanks' character gets fired from his law firm because he has AIDS. And he sues the law firm um, with the help of Denzel Washington, who is homophobic. Um, and it's it's about them developing a friendship and Denzel Washington changing his views. And um, it's it's probably the most well known movie about the depiction of the AIDS epidemic. At least that at least I think so. Um, what are your thoughts on Philadelphia, Eli? Um, I will say that it definitely watches differently now. Um, I've been HIV positive, uh, for a little over four years, um, and undetectable, the, um, the entire time. So, um, these definitely watch differently than the first time that I saw them. Um, Philadelphia in particular, I remember watching it and just, it just, uh, it was brutal. Um, but watching it. After I was diagnosed, it has a different level of brutality. Yeah, yeah I bet. bet. And is that, is that, is it a, do you view the film negatively or positively or? I think it was a very real look. Um, it, it, I think it was great that it showed um, the, the, the cultural bias that, um, that Denzel Washington's character had toward gay men in particular. Um, and, and then watching that relationship grow um, when he went from being just another faggot to being a human being who was dying of AIDS um, and what that entailed. Um, so I think it was, it, it was a very important film. I think it was very well done. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie that, that will always, always kind of hit me a little hard is uh, Straight Outta Compton. Um, that was the first movie that I watched after my diagnosis um, mm-hmm. and watching um, the, 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 the end of it and the tale of how easy he died from AIDS. Yeah. Um, 
that will be the one movie that always kind of kind of tears my heart a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's that's a really good movie. It is, I didn't yeah. get talked about enough, but yeah, yeah, that was really, and I didn't know that. I honestly, I don't. If I did know that, I forgot it. But I didn't know that until watching that the movie, till watching Straight Out of Compton. So yeah, yeah. And then um, Pasha, do you have anything to add on Philadelphia? Um. Well, I. It, one of my all-time favorite scenes, and we talked. We were talking earlier about how some of my favorite, some of our favorite movies seem to be very depressing or heartbreaking. And I really like Philadelphia, but the one scene that strikes me the most is just is when is when he was listening to the opera. Yeah. And Denzel Washington shuts the door, and he hears the music start again. And after just experiencing that whole aria with him, it just, oh, that just really, really gets me. I'm goosebumps. That and um, honestly, the celebration of his life yeah. uh, at the end. And I thought that was the with his family there and the cross section of different cultures um, was really very lovely to see. Um, and I'm just, I just, we'll talk about it more in the future of film, but uh, I'm sure, but, but I hope that now we have a big, a wider spectrum of how HIV and AIDS both are portrayed in, mm-hmm. in film and uh, in media in general. Uh, because like Eli said, he's, he's UU, undetectable and transmittable and being his partner, um, I don't have to worry about a lot of things that if, if someone, if my partner was, was, was not you, you, uh, it's a completely different mindset about things, of course, uh, and a completely different way of living your life, but you don't see any of that in film. If, if someone has, it, it, it is about more about AIDS. It's not about HIV, yeah. about AIDS and dying. And uh, not very many, there's actually, I can't think of any portrayals anywhere where someone is living with HIV and having a healthy, happy life. That would be great to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Sarah, your thoughts on Philadelphia? I remember watching this actually with my dad. Um probably after it came out my dad would normally like rent rated our movies and stuff that weren't allowed in the house when my mom was away <laughs> um, that's what we read all the rated our movies and let us older kids watch um growing up mormon was quite the interesting experience but um it was really eye-opening and raw to a world that i had no idea about no idea whatsoever and it was it was heart wrenching to watch, and and I'm so grateful that I did watch it, and it made me more aware of the massive disparities of. I can go on a, a whole tangent about the whole um, pharmaceutical medical system that we have set up, and and how. Um, yeah, so I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but um, I love the portrayal of a successful, well, 
uh, well-rounded human being who is uh, trying to experience experiencing living through AIDS and dying from it and then uh, being seen as a horrible human being because he's gay and uh, being vilified in a way that you know nobody should really ever have to experience but during the 80s and 90s especially in the east coast that was very prevalent and we saw that in, in pose too where yeah. people were constantly being treated less than because they had HIV or AIDS and it was it was an epidemic in the gay community and um, it's still an epidemic worldwide and we're Mm -hmm. not giving it the necessary attention that it needs to have and so I think um, I'm going to still throw in pose as, as a another good representation of we need to keep the conversation moving forward and continue advocating for more um, awareness and um, fundraising and movement towards finding a cure for HIV and AIDS. And so I think this, this film really portrays what 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 it is to have AIDS I cannot imagine living like this but it also has a lot of intense historical context for the gay community during that time there was so much loss and there's so much pain and suffering Mm -hmm. that people experience seeing friend after friend after family member just die uh, consistently from having AIDS or HIV and so I think this is one of those brutally honest movies that definitely needs to continue being um, a, a representation of the, the AIDS epidemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I remember, I mean, for me, I've mentioned this before. Um, it reminded me a lot of when I was young, my mom's friend, um, Richard, she took care of him in his final days. He passed away of, of AIDS. And she always tells me about being there. She was there when he died. Um, and he died at home. She was taking care of him there, helping. She would go, you know, the only thing that he would was able to eat was movie theater popcorn. So she would always go to the movie theater and get him movie theater popcorn. And, you know, it. This movie brought back a lot of the memories of what she would tell me and the moments that I would see. I was very young um, when he passed away, but he was one of her closest friends. um, And a lot of people did turn away from him when he was going through that. And that was very painful to watch, um, especially for my mom to watch. Um, But she also said, you know, and and that's what kind of some of those moments in Philadelphia remind me of even the the music scene, you know, with the the opera scene reminds me of what she told me when she told me, you know, when when he died, seeing this, the peacefulness of it in a way, she said it was like he was finally at peace. And she said, in a way, it was, it was almost beautiful. And she said, I could feel his soul and spirit leaving. And she said, that's why I could never in a million years say that people don't have a soul or that they don't go somewhere else. So, um, 
so that watching that movie and I've never talked to my mom about it to see if she feels that way. Like if it brought any memories from her or if watching any of these do, I know she's mentioned it a couple of times if we've watched something together, but yeah, so that's, that's what it always sort of reminds me of or, or I think about other friends that I've had that, that maybe we lost touch and um, I knew they were either HIV positive or had AIDS and, and wondering where they are when I see movies, um, you know, or, or when I even see TV television shows. Um, and yeah, I agree, Pasha, we do need to see more of more, more, not just the tragic side um, especially now, I think we need to see all sides of it. Um, I will say that in, and we've, we talked about Queer as Folk earlier this month, and I will say that it was nice in Queer as Folk to see, uh, the character of Ben, you know, get married and have children. I mean, not have children, but, you know, adopt children, uh, Hunter. And I thought that was nice to see as well to see him go on and, and have, and even though they showed him go to the hospital at one point, the show didn't end with him dying. You know, it ended with him still having this life and this marriage and this family with Michael. So I will add, just add that in there. That was nice to see that in the early two thousands. Okay. Well, um, are there any other movies that you guys want to bring up? Eli, are there any movies that you'd like to mention um, that depict HIV or the AIDS epidemic or anything like that that you'd like to mention in this section? Uh, Dallas Buyers Club. Um, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think that was a great one that kind of showed um, some of the ugliness of what was really going on with uh, the the public um, pharmaceuticals, nobody really caring because it was gay men. Um, and I think that's another one of those movies that's kind of important to watch if you actually sit down and realize what it's talking about. Um, it's a pretty rough movie, and it shows that that we actually took profits over people because it was gay men. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that is, and I'm I am not a Matthew McConaughey fan, and I thought he was really good in that one too. I'll just say, but killed yeah. that yeah. role. Same. Yeah, yeah, same here. Same yeah. here. I, I I actually remember him going on late night shows so skinny and so gaunt and they would mm-hmm. ask him about it and he they had not even been picked up yet they had finished almost completely finished filming before a studio picked it up and he would go on and very raw and very candidly say this is important a studio needs to pick this up and at first nobody would even touch it. i mean matthew mcconaughey playing this role they they were like nah you know, <laughs> and who the heck is Jared Leto, you know, and, and, uh, and, and for him to go on and win the Oscar and, and um, you know, playing a, a trans sex worker and, and um, who, who had AIDS. And um, yeah, I, I think that it's, it's, it also show, has really great representation of allyship. Um, yeah. Which Sometimes our films and stuff can play to us as an audience and not necessarily, that's one of the things Philadelphia was broadly based. And I think Dallas Buyers Club was also. Uh, So, yeah, more of that. (laughs) Yeah. Sarah, did you see Dallas Buyers Club? 
I actually have not seen it. It's been on my to watch list and I have, I think I started it and had like five minutes into it and then I gave up on it. Um, but another movie I do want to bring up, and I know this is also a Broadway play, is Rent. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And that's definitely around the same time frame as Pose in New York and 80s and early 90s, where a lot of people were dying of AIDS. And um, they bring that to to the screen for, as a musical performance, and the, they show the the breakup of relationships and the despair that everybody feels and the loss. And um, I'm glad that they brought that to movie because that's a, a very powerful movie and important movie. Um, but even, even in the movie, they have an AZT break and it mm-hmm. becomes yeah. kind of a uh, norm to take your medication together and, um, so it just and it's it's interesting seeing how just even as a culture our uh, pharmaceuticals have followed the AIDS epidemic to from AZT to men and women taking prep and um, just how things have evolved. So at least we're still seeing some of the conversations still happen, but not nearly as important as it could be. Yeah. And and may I interject and maybe this yeah. I this is off topic. If you are everyone should be on prep, period. I everyone should just be on prep. Uh I'm on it. I was on it actually before I even started dating Eli. And my kids are on it. I think it's important if you're if you're not familiar with Truvada and what prep is, it's essentially prevents you from catching virus. And it's really, really effective. And some people have some pretty dramatic side effects or allergic reactions. I'm lucky I haven't had any at all. And most people don't. And so if possible, there's my little plug. (laughs) (laughs) Check out prep. (laughs) No, thank you for interjecting and saying that. So, yeah. Um, And then I'm going to mention two movies here because one of these I was going to mention for a different reason, but it, it fits into this as well. Um, The first one is a movie called It's My Party, which is um, a movie with Eric Roberts. Um, Has anyone else seen this movie? Oh, yeah. And and that's one that definitely watched different before and after I was diagnosed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have have you seen that one, Sarah? I have not. Well, I'll give you a little bit of synopsis. It's it's about Nick, who's played by Eric Roberts, and he's nearing the end of a three-year battle with AIDS and makes arrangements to die. Mm-hmm. Um, and he hosts a party to say goodbye to his friends and family. And it's it's about that party um, and his ex-partner and his, re- his relationship with his family and his sister. Um, and his sister is is played by Marley Matlin, who we've mentioned before when we did the album. Marley Matlin. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and it's it's a re- I recommend that one. I've seen it numerous times. Um, it's more of an independent one, um, and I'm not a big Eric Roberts fan either. But he's really, <laughs> really good in it. Um, and then Margaret Cho is really good in it, um, and so is Gregory Harrison, who plays his ex partner. So, yeah, that's I think that's a really good one to seek out. It's um, and it's based on a true story it's based on a person that everybody i guess in the movie knew about and knew the the story um 
So, so yeah, so it's so just as a little aside there on that one. Um, and then the other one I want to mention, this is a movie I absolutely love, even though the ending was kind of abrupt and could have been better, is a movie called A Home at the End of the World. Um, and this is another one I thought of today that I didn't have on the list. Has anyone else seen this movie? I have not. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> okay. Well, I recommend you guys go see this one um, because it, it's with Colin Farrell, Robin Wright Penn. She was Penn at the time. She's not anymore. Um, and Dallas Roberts. And it's it's a Colin Farrell's performance in this movie. You have to see it just simply for his performance because he is so incredible. And I really think they don't really outright say it. They more say that he's um, bi. But I think Colin Farrell's character is um, more um, pan-sexual. That's what I really think his, his character is. Um, but he's just this very, very unique kid who early in the film, very beginning of the film, not really a big spoiler here, his brother, who he looked up to as big brother, um, and this was in the 80s. The film takes place from the 80s until, um, well, 70s into the 80s. And his brother gets really high and walks through, like runs through, I mean, a um, sliding glass door and a chunk of glass uh, cuts into his neck and kills him. And it's very, I mean, it's intense to watch. Uh, and it's, it's this thing that sort of shapes Colin Farrell's character, Bobby, but instead of turning him into this guy who might be very depressed and lonely, he is lonely, but he has such this amazingly beautiful, wonderful heart. And he develops this friendship with um, Dallas Roberts character when they're kids, because there's kids playing them as well. Uh, and they become really close. And Dallas Roberts is gay and very much in love with Bobby, um, with Colin Farrell's character. And then there's this woman uh, played by Robin Wright, who whose name is Claire. And she is pretty much in love with both of them, with both Dallas Roberts' character and with Bobby, with Jonathan, Dallas Roberts' character. And Claire um, gets pregnant. And then she, um, after she gives birth, she is diagnosed with AIDS. So... You're, you see a woman struggling with it, with with dying from AIDS. So, yeah, so it's a very – so I just wanted to mention it for that. And I really, really highly recommend this movie. Um, a lot of people criticize the end because the end of the movie is very like, wait, it ended? You know, it just kind of abruptly ends. You can tell there was probably a bunch they cut. But I recommend it mainly for Colin Farrell's performance. But yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a really, I've never seen a character like his character on screen before, uh, before that. So I, I really recommend that one. And that's, that's very, Aaron, that's you're very, Aaron, you, yeah. you bring up a really good point about the AIDS epidemic and representation in film. You don't see any women portrayed with AIDS mm. because it's not just a gay male disease and so that's really interesting that we continue our uh, media coverage and film representation just on the male perspective of AIDS and HIV so I would be interested to know if there are other films out there or representing uh, the female community but Robin Penn actually played another woman that died of AIDS in um, Forrest Gump. So 
maybe that's oh, yeah. her niche. Yes. <laughs> maybe that's her niche now. Huh. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? I have to totally correct myself because I thought, because I know she gets really sick in the movie and I thought that she had that, but now I'm rereading the thing and now I feel terrible because I read this thing and I was reading it because I, I swear I must be, I'm sorry guys, maybe I'm confusing <laughs> that with her other character, but I, but Jonathan, Jonathan has AIDS. So I, but I was yeah. born in this movie that she has AIDS too. So maybe I'm just confusing the two characters. So I apologize. I'll have to edit that a little bit, but, but, but yeah, that's interesting now that she did in, in another movie. But it's true, there isn't very many there aren't very many movies that I can think of. And yeah. and usually the representation of women that have AIDS or HIV are women in Africa and it's typically representing them being uh prostitutes or having been raped and that's how they acquired it, which is a, another horrible representation of the black community and, and and that part of the world but yeah we, it's only focused around two different specific groups and we never hear or see stories of heterosexual men and women experiencing it so uh, i'm an equal opportunist so <laughs> what equal it, representation yeah. so it, it's just yeah. interesting yeah. yeah, I think there was a TV movie in the 90s, 80s or 90s, with a woman. It was based on a true story with a woman who, yeah. who had AIDS. And I can't remember the name of that movie for the life of me. Yeah, she started, um, oh, shoot. It was based on this real woman. And I was actually going to, I actually thought of her because uh, usually when white women, the couple of representations they have of, uh, women ha being HIV positive or having AIDS, they're very saintly and they got it like through a blood transfusion. Yeah. yeah. Which, mm -hmm. it, in this case, in the true story, that's how she got it. But that's, she became kind of the palatable poster person uh, to, and she did a lot of fundraising and she has a huge, fit, uh, when she's passed, but she had a huge foundation that, that uh, raised a lot of money, which is wonderful. But uh, yeah, they had to wait until they had the straight woman that got it through a transfusion to be their champion for a long time. So, yeah. So yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I can't remember the name of that movie, but I'll have to, yeah. Cause that, that is, that is very, very true. And I didn't even think about that, but yeah. you know, yeah. Minimize what she did. Her, her yeah. life's work was, you know, beyond what most people, under those circumstances would step up and do. Uh, so I don't want to minimize that and make her and vilify her in any way. But it, yeah, I mean, in our society, we did have to wait for that perfect uh, person to come along to be our poster poster person. So yeah, there we go. Okay, so let's get into something a little bit different. A little bit different, um, sometimes a little bit lighter, at least for the ones, the examples that I've put on here, as far as like, you know, more in the comedic range of what we have seen, at least, um, are the drag portrayals in the 1990s. And the three movies that I primarily thought of in this range, there are others, are Birdcage, Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. Um, so let's go around and just sort of give our thoughts on these. Eli, what are your thoughts on those movies or any other movies in the 90s with drag portrayals? 
Oh my God, I, I remember loving them. Um, I remember just thinking, this this is amazing. This looks like so much fun. Um, it really, um, I love Birdcage because it not only showed drag queens, it showed the inner workings of an actual relationship. What was going on with that relationship and them having to keep some aspects of it hidden and some aspects of it very open because they were club owners. Um, so I, I, I think that was huge. Um, the Adventure Priscilla, um, we just actually, I, um, uh, Pasha hadn't watched it. So um, oh. <laughs> we watched that one just today. Um, and I always love that. I, I, I yeah. think um, the cinematography is amazing. Some of the images are just, are, are beautiful. Um, and it, it, it's a great story that deals with a, t- a tough image um, with a pretty big crew. Um, and I mean, in the end, the kid's accepting his dad. I mean, how awesome and how amazing is that? It's 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 great. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, to Wong Fu, um, who doesn't love that? I mean, just a great movie, a lot of fun. <laughs> um, yeah, a lot of horrible tropes and a lot of really bad things. Um, but it, it it did show the the um, the more fun side of drag. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Pasha, your thoughts on those, especially since you just watched The Adventures yeah, of Priscilla. Yeah, <laughs> watched Priscilla. Um, well, The Birdcage, it's kind of funny because Eli and I always kind of surprise each other with a quote from a movie in real, we'll, I'll be doing something and somebody will say something about John Wayne and I'll quote the Birdcage quote about, about how he walks and stuff. And Eli will just crack up laughing because we kind of <laughs> have grew up with all the same stuff. Uh, you were talking about the 80s and 90s. That's when we grew up. We're older than mm-hmm. you guys. And so um, that was our lives. <laughs> so <laughs> we lived through all that. But um, And uh, let's see. Um, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, I love because it was a lot less glamorous than Tu Wong Fu. Yeah. Um, the, the wings on the bus, I just... Mm-hmm. Turned to Eli, I was like, why are we not like doing that right this time? <laughs> With those wings. Um, but, and I know Eli's going to know I'm going to bring this up. Being Asian, <laughs> the wife mm-hmm. that uh, is obviously a sex worker as well, and with the ping pong balls and all that stuff, yeah. I was just like, I was like, well, there you go. The, the the language that was no language whatsoever and just you know this shrill I was just like hmm well <laughs> so that I have to admit it's it's kind of like I love breakfast at Tiffany's I cannot stand Mickey Rooney in it what they did you know to turn him into a Japanese character and the way that was portrayed ruins the entire movie for me but Priscilla I I liked it I hate to say this Oh, no, I don't hate to say this, but I actually kind of liked it a little more than Tu Wong Fu just because mm. it reminded me of real queens I know in real life, in real situations. We could totally see that. I pointed out in the one scene, it shows their hotel room and it's just trash. Their suitcases are open. There are clothes everywhere. It's just, you know, <laughs> you know, jewelry's everywhere. And in Tu Wong Fu, they have a magical scene where they snap their fingers and scarves just perfectly land and, and the whole place <laughs> is decked out like the inside of Jeannie's bottle. And so, and, but, but I, I also still love Tu Wong Fu, of, of course, because, you know, and 
a common thread through a lot of these is Robin Williams. Just saying. That's very true. And, you know, the birdcage, he was brilliant. I also like that Nathan Lane is gay and he got to play uh, a gay character. And that was that was really nice to see as well. So those are my thoughts. Yeah. And Sarah. Oh, I I love the birdcage. I watched it recently with Joyce and it's always super fun. And I miss Robin Williams so much. So it's nice to be able to honor him by watching his films consistently. Um, but just the flamboyance and the um, the exuberance of their whole lifestyle and everything being dramatic. And then these um, relationship compromises for each other. It's just really, really interesting and fascinating and how... <laughs> um, forgot who plays opposite of him I can never remember his name uh, but him yeah. being the mom and just coming in and being like this flamboyant drunk lady <laughs> <It's> hilarious <laughs> um, so the dinner party was absolutely hilarious and mm-hmm. the, just how they get the congressman or senator out of out of the place by dressing <laughs> him in drag and then um so it was it was really I think it was really eye-opening for like this is can this can be fun without it being sexualized or being anything other than what it is you know it doesn't completely define who you are it's just a part of who you are and I like the reminder of that movie telling the audience that it's okay to express who you are not hide who you are to make other people comfortable and that's really big for the gay community that I think they really portrayed very well and how how much Robin Williams was having to hide about his identity in order to make his son comfortable uh, about meeting his uh, potential new fam- new in-laws. Mm-hmm. And uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, it's really funny looking at the, um, uh, the actors in this movie, uh, Hugo mm-hmm. Weaving, who was agent smith in the matrix <laughs> so it's really mm-hmm. interesting seeing him Five. in two two different worlds and like i i remember watching this in the early 90s with uh, some friends and it was so extravagant it was like so interesting watching and guy pierce i love his character because he's Me so too. flamboyant um but it's 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 a it's a fun movie it's very flavorful and um I love uh, Terrence Stamp, who plays the older mm-hmm. drag queen. It's just like, doesn't put up with anybody's shit. So it's kind of <laughs> plays on the whole drag mom dynamic, and which I think is definitely important for the, for the <clears throat> drag community. But from how, what I understand about this movie and Tu Wong Fu is Tu Wong Fu was, a, is, was an American remake in response to this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's yep. interesting how they brought that about and I love Wesley Snipes he plays the best <laughs> drag queen oh my god he he looks so comfortable in his skin in that outfit in his yeah. outfit and it's just the opening scene where he's like getting giggly about putting on stockings I've never been that giggly about putting on stockings <laughs> it's usually like um I'm like the character from Curly Sue where she's laying on the floor in pain because she hates it. Um, <laughs> if anybody remembers that movie. Uh, oh, yeah. But 
Priscilla, uh, but uh, Tu Wong Fu, I love the journey that both, all three of these drag queens go on from uh, honoring their past and letting go of the hurt and pain that Wesley Snipes' character, not Wesley Snipes, um, uh, oh my God, I can't remember. His Patrick name right Swayze? Now. Patrick Swayze, yes, I'm sorry. I know. D- don't hate me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, don't haunt me like a ghost um, <laughs> but just his his reconciliation with his family and his past and letting that go and just honoring himself and mm-hmm. Wesley Snipes character just being blatantly like exuberant and unapologetic about who he is I, I love that about his character but um John Liquidsamo as a drag queen mm-hmm. is hilarious. <laughs> and so some cute. of the, some of the readings that they do on each other is just is also super hilarious where they're gonna strip away your princess points and like you're just a, why is that sad boy in dra- in a dress crying, you know? Why and is the little lad like, boy in drag crying? Yeah. Yes, yes. So it's I love the portrayal of the characters or even even the um the cop that pulls them over and then realizes it's a man then he goes to a bar and he's just obsessed about it and he's just like man touching another man and caressing them and loving him hot passion it's like you could tell he's so in the closet (laughs) and so it's just it plays on those dynamics and and these um stereotypes of what we assume people to be like when you when you see these people in the small town you assume they're going to be horrible to drag queens because they're a small town, but they're not. Mm-hmm. And so they're so inclusive. And so I, that's the thing that I, one, one of the things I like about the movie is that it really pushes past the stereotypes about making assumptions about people. And that reads through and through with the characters, the main characters, the town, the police officer, everything. And so I, I really like that it portrays more acceptance and this journey of growth, especially for John Leguizamo's character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and um, I know you were saying, Pasha, that you guys do some quoting from Birdcage. And it reminded me, my friend and I used to always say, or she used to always say, so how about them dolphins all the time, constantly, when there was any <laughs> weird conversation going on. So I was saying that. <laughs> I forgot that that's where that came from and we had to say that randomly and I'm like, that yep. sounds so familiar. And like, how about them dolphins? But I'm going to anyway, so I kind of relate. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Yeah, and I... I love all three of them. Um, and I do agree with you, Pasha. I think I like Priscilla a little bit better than Tu Wong Fu. Um, and I remember Birdcage, you know, that was right right after I graduated high school or somewhere around that time. Um, and I remember seeing that in the movie theaters and just loving it. And then Priscilla was just one of those I just fell in love with. And, yeah, and then I remember Tu Wong Fu coming out as kind of a response to that. But, yeah, the... There was Priscilla kind of, there was like this resurgent, there was like all these um, Australian movies in the 90s that were like Mm -hmm. a big deal. All these independent Australian movies, like you saw Baz Luhrmann coming out, like especially with Strictly Ballroom and then um, of course he went to other things. Yeah. 
Yeah, and Strictly Ballroom, honestly, is the only Baz Luhrmann movie I like. I'm not a really a big fan of his. Same here. Um, oh, good. We're on the oh, same page. Good. good. Someone else okay. thinks oh. that, because I, I do not like Moulin Rouge. I can't stand that movie, and I love you and McGregor, but I can't stand that one. I didn't. I don't like the story of Romeo and Juliet anyway, so I didn't like that one. Um, and I, I don't know if I've seen his other ones, but... <laughs> But I, but yeah, so it was this interesting period of time where you saw all these Australian, independent Australian film was just this big thing back then. And I thought Priscilla was one of the best ones and, and um, the acting in it was so great. Um, and yeah, I do agree. There were some negative portrayals there, like you, like you mentioned, Pasha. Um, and one thing I want to point out with Tu Wong Fu is, and this is one thing I want to mention a little bit when we get into more of present day. Um, is you don't see a lot of uh, representation of people of color in a lot of these movies. Um, and with Chi Wong Fu, you had a black man, um, you know, and, and then, of course, you had John Leguizamo in there. And then, you, I mean, Wesley Snipes and then John Leguizamo. So that was something different. You didn't really see that. You know, you had just the one white guy and then two people of color. Um, so I just want to point that out because that was a little bit of a unique thing, I I think. I mean, I can't think of too many movies uh, that didn't just have white men or white women in them. Um, and and Wesley Snipes, I, I, I'm sure they picked him because he's he was a big action star. Yeah. But he's not just a black man. He's dark. Yeah, and, that too. Uh, and and I, I really loved seeing that. I remember going to see the movie with uh, some friends that, and I've always had a weird mix of racially diverse friends. We look like a Benetton ad walking down the street. Y'all are too young to know what that is, but trust no, me, I it was. What that is. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but uh, um, that was something that they pointed out was that Wesley Snipes was not only beautiful as a woman, but as a dark woman. So yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah, that's. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, that is that is true because you don't see that much as well either. Um, yeah, and just a shout out for him as Blade. I still will always love him. <laughs> I'm a vampire addict. So, yeah, yeah. That's a really good one. One thing that I, I, I observed to Eli about the drag movies is like Ed Wood way back in um, Glen or Glenda, Glen, uh, and pointed out that the term he used was tra- transvestitism is different than homosexuality. And even in Tu Wong Fu, they talk about a gay man who, you know, they, they, they specifically spell out the differences, right? And that they are supposed to be drag performers. They're gay men with too much style. And yet the entire time they are living as career girls as as women and so I know that even in life that is so complex and so kind of fuzzy sometimes around those boundaries I actually like that I actually I like things that are going to make me think and question well why do you think that you know and so um but it is interesting that they talk about a drag movie and in Priscilla they were in and out of drag and uh, and and everywhere in between, which was <laughs> which is very realistic. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know how many times we see uh, our friends in face uh, in their gown and in face, but then a backward baseball cap instead of their wig. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, we've already, I mean, we've already touched a little bit on um, independent cinema. I've brought up a few independent movies and we've brought up some. Um, but I want to just talk a little bit um, about some that I didn't have on the outline. But I want to talk about this movie called um, All Over the Guy. Has anyone seen this movie? I've not. No. <laughs> see, I see all these really independent movies. I'm like, I like own this. I own this movie. Um, but this is like, uh, is this a romantic comedy um, with two gay men in 2001? Um, and it stars um, this guy, Dan Bukatinsky. He's, he does, you've seen him probably in a million different television shows. One of probably his most well-known was he was in Scandal. Um, and he played, I can't, I'm not gonna remember the character. I'll have to look it up here. And then this other actor, Richard Rucolo, who is another, who's been in like a lot of the, um, like Beverly Hills, 90210 type movies. Um, and then Adam Goldberg, who, who is known as being in tons of independent movies. Um, Lisa Kudrow's in it as well, but this is very much a romantic comedy where, uh, Dan's character, Eli, uh, meets <laughs> Richard's character Tom. Yeah, Eli. <laughs> um, and Eli is a romantic, and Tom is Tom is like Brian and queer as folk, really. Um, <laughs> and they have this kind of love hate relationship when they first meet, and it's their love story. And it's um, and Joanna Kearns plays Tom's mom, and there's this very interesting scene that they have uh, that you see why Tom is so shut off and cold. But what I wanted to mention in this movie is they have this scene uh, where Eli and Tom, when they go on their first date, and they're talking about movies and representation in movies, and Eli mentions oh. In and Out, and oh, <laughs> the yeah. character of Tom goes oh. off on the movie and just goes yeah. does this whole tirade about the movie and then Eli under his breath says I'm not even going to mention the birdcage <laughs> but it's, just, it's really interesting to see and so um, the reason I bring that up is I also wanted to quickly bring up and I didn't put it on the outline but I really think it's important to bring in and out up really quickly before we move on yeah. to present day because you know you should watch this movie is really cute it's very sweet i know pasha you said you're not as into romantic comedies but (laughs) i've seen in and out a lot my son loves the movie so yeah i'm very familiar well i I, I meant i meant all over the guy is a romantic oh all over the guy okay try yeah yeah Yeah, i know you're not as into romantic comedies is why i was saying but but you should give it a try it's really it's cute i've seen it uh, hundreds of times honestly but um yeah so let's talk a little bit about in and out because a lot of people criticize that movie um and so i just want to quickly mention that because i just thought it was important to bring up and that movie all over the guy reminded me of it um so eli do you have what are your thoughts on in and out i, I have not seen it oh you haven't it, oh okay no, <laughs> okay then i'll it, go to pasha it was it was based on um, when Tom Hanks, I think when Tom Hanks accepted his Academy Award for Philadelphia, yep. he mentioned he specifically in his speech brings up his teacher in high school that I think it was his drama teacher who got him into, um, you know, and, and that 
day teachers are amazing and so on and so forth. So in and out is based on this hypothetical situation of all people, Matt Dillon uh, is an amazing actor, supposedly, and <laughs> and wins an Academy Award. <laughs> and wins the Academy Award and goes up and um, thanks his gay teacher and then names Kevin Klein's character. Mm-hmm. Kevin Klein is not out even to himself. He's engaged to, um, oh, shoot. Um, I forget uh- Joan Cusack. Yeah, Joan Cusack, Joan Cusack's sister. And um, so they're engaged. They're about to get married. And he is so, there are so many tropes and stereotypes about about gay men that he falls like smack dab in the middle of. And uh, um, Magnum P.I. being his love interest is very strange um, <laughs> without his mustache. But, um, but yeah, so so it's him realizing that he's gay, basically, and uh, it's 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 funny if you look at if you just relax and let it be like a guilty pleasure movie, but if you actually think about it like at all, you're like, uh, yeah, it's an eye roller. So, <laughs> and if, have you seen it, Sarah? I think I saw it a long time ago, and I honestly cannot remember much about it. <laughs> Sorry, but it was no, really that's funny okay. listening to Pasha to give her take on it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it was great. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> and I was trying to find the actual quote from the movie All Over the Guy where uh, the character of Tom talks about how much he loathes this movie. Um, and how, you know, in the end, in the end, how we're all supposed to just be so happy for the, I, I don't, I wish I was trying to find it just now to see the quote, but um, I, you could probably find it on YouTube just to see that, that little part, because I think it kind of sums up why some people have, have issues with that movie. Is it? Yeah. And I loved it when it came out. I remember really enjoying it and having fun with it and thinking Kevin Klein was really good in it. And I, I like Matt Dillon. So <laughs> I like him too. I just don't think he's the best actor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I can, I can, I can see that. See, uh, drug <laughs> drugstore cowboy. So, um, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, anyway. But yeah, yeah. It's 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 kind of it's got some problems in it. But I just wanted to mention that and just see if anybody had any thoughts on that one because I thought it was an important one in the '90s. I mean, it's you know, in the nineties, it's, it kind of fit with the other ones that we were sort of talking yeah. about in a way. So just wanted to mention it. It, 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 to me, just being, um, a juicy gal, one of my favorite parts in the movie had nothing to do with the plot about him realizing he's mm-hmm. gay out and falling in love and all that. It was, uh, Matt Dillon's character who had been dating all these wafer thin models yeah lines up with Joan Cusack and is just fattening her back up after she had lost all this weight to become a bride. And I thought that was great. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I liked that a lot too. <laughs> I thought that was really awesome. I thought that was very much uh, body positivity, you know, that you don't see very often. Um, and seeing, especially someone who's considered like a hunk, like Matt Dillon, you know, seeing that was, that, that was pretty pretty awesome i agree i liked that a lot i probably liked their relationship a lot more than rooting for tom hanks and tom Selleck, which i mean yeah. 
<laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, let's uh, let's jump ahead to the two thousands now, and some pretty important movies that came out. Um, and I just want to mention a few of them, and we can give our thoughts on these. Um, of course, Brokeback Mountain, which we are eventually going to do a whole episode on Brokeback Mountain because I think it's important to do an episode on that one. Um, the movie Monster, um, which I never can say that word very well, so I'm sure everybody's laughing at me, but. <laughs> Um, the movie Milk, which was more late 2000s, um, the movie The Kids Are All Right, and the movie Transamerica, which, uh, we'll definitely get to that leading into the trouble with having people outside of the community portraying roles. So let's go around and just talk a little bit about these. We'll, we'll leave Transamerica off for right now and we'll just end with that one since that leads, I think, into the trouble with having people outside of the community. I think that one really leads well into that one. Um, but what are your thoughts on these movies or any other movies in the 2000s? Um, Eli, what are your thoughts? Um, one, um, it was 1999 that the entire movie didn't cover it, but the ending, it was very, very evident was a uh, fatal beauty. Um, okay. another kind of kill the gay trope, you know, where yeah. it's, you know, he had to, that was, I think that was very important. Um, Brokeback Mountain. Um, uh, I remember, uh, being, I was working in, in the car business in central California, not being out at work, um, and when that movie came out, the conversations that were taking place um, and just being um, amazed, yet not surprised, yet um, I, I thought that I was in a, a, a fairly safe place. And I realized very quickly that, that I was not. Um, Monster, wow, just there's so much to say about that movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, Milk, like I said, um, Having grown up in California um, and and being very familiar with the story, um, I thought it was a great movie. I thought it was a, just a, a very important, very well done. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, Kids are all right. Absolutely loved it. I thought it was a great movie. There was so much going on. Um, and being able to show that, um, that dysfunction could be okay, that it wasn't always going to be just the end-all, be-all of the world. Um, that sometimes the uh, homes were messy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And Pasha, your thoughts okay. on any of the movies or all of those? I have committed the the, the cardinal queer sin of not having seen Brokeback Mountain. Whoa! <laughs> this podcast is over. Top of the list, and and I I haven't seen it. I know I've seen all these other weird, obscure like indie movies and I, I haven't seen Brokeback Mountain. Um, yeah. So I know that was, that's, that's <laughs> um, well, and, uh, and now y'all can just, you know, boo and hiss. Um, <laughs> we'll edit that in later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Monster. I loved for reasons other than the LGBTQIA plus community portrayal. Because I am a former consenting sex worker as well as a trafficking survivor. And a lot of sex workers, um, we talked about this a little bit with the Parasol Patrol, a lot of them are gay, queer, and some on that spectrum. 
and they get kicked out or they are estranged from their family and they have no support. And she was an adult, but a lot of them wind up turning to what we call survival sex work. And I think that's what she was doing. She was, she was doing survival sex work to get by. A lot of people do uh, for a lot of different reasons. And um, having had the actual experience as she ha had, and not very many people would will at least admit that they have, have done, um, I know what it's like to feel so crushed that you contemplate not okay things. <laughs> You you wish ill upon people um, that you have to butter up and tell them they're the best, they're the greatest, they're, you know, this and that. And in really, they're hurting you. They don't know it. So they're not necessarily bad people, but it crushes you and it changes you. And these boundaries around what is acceptable or not falls to, to the wayside. So that's what I liked about Monster. I mean, she was not a good person i don't want to make you know she was she was a serial killer mm -hmm. uh but on some ways in bizarre ways i actually identified with her um milk of course is heavy it's it's a heavy movie it's historically mostly accurate um and and it's it's a tough one it's it's one that you definitely have to um take up your shield and gird your loins before going into battle to watch um <laughs> The kids are all right. I agree completely with Eli. It's nice to see the relationships. It's nice to see the different roles that the moms play. And yeah. um, uh, and the kids are all right. The kids are actually pretty groovy. It's the it's adults that kind of fall apart. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and, and even even with the adultery and everything else, it, it's it's complicated, but that's like real life, I think. So that's basically it. And Sarah? Um, I want to call another one out that comes up just before Brokeback Mountain in 1999. Boys Don't Cry. Yes, yes. And I, yeah. That, yeah. Is, yeah. that was an amazingly important. powerful story about um, yeah. Brandon Tina's story and... Um, yeah, yeah. I, I love that movie, and it was pretty powerful seeing that, especially being portrayed by Hilary Swank, where yeah. she had to experience some pretty awful things in that movie, and that's very yeah. that's a very common theme. And and Aaron, you and I have talked about that in previous mm -hmm. podcasts about how um, heterosexual men objectify lesbians in a way where it's we are the man you've been missing to make you straight and um, yeah. those dynamics. Yeah. And so that's, um, that's a very honest portrayal of uh, how some, not all straight men think of or treat lesbian women. So I definitely want to make sure that I call that out. So that was a powerful mm -hmm. movie. And that was mm -hmm. uh, one that was very formative for me when, as I was coming out as well. So it was just, that put me in a place where I needed to be mindful about how I engaged with other people and also how I presented myself, but also ensured my own safety 
and advocated for other people's safety in, in situations. So uh, I'm grateful for that perspective. Uh, Brokeback Mountain, I, you and I had another conversation yep. about this one in, in a previous podcast as well, where I stated that this was a, um, a representation of killing the gay trope and burying your gay and um, not allowing uh, them to live their life fully. They had to hide their relationship and they never really were truly happy. And then one of them ended up dying at the end of the movie. So I think this is a very powerful representation of uh, the gay male community with also portraying a very uh, masculine trade and profession uh, admits that. And that shows that there are gay men out there that are cowboys. I know gay cowboy <laughs> men here in, in Denver, like um, if anybody knows um, Jerry Cunningham who owns Out Front Magazine, um, his husband is a tall rancher and there are they they're they're here they're they're different portrayals Eli, and, and... Eli was actually a bull rider oh yeah we are everywhere exactly exactly <laughs> and so you can be a cowboy rancher and be gay at the same time and so i i love that portrayal and uh, this is a powerful movie and i I love both the performances of Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger and such a powerful um, relationship dynamic between the two of them. Monster, I just watched that for the first time this week and I, oh, wow. I, I had a really hard time pulling the trigger watching it, but it was powerful. And I think, and I agree with Pasha in a lot of the ways um, how the character was portrayed. Like she was absolutely traumatized and was working from a place of severe terror and uh, not never ever being safe or being seen and then she finds Selby and she's mm -hmm. finally seen for the first time in her life and appreciated wanted and desired for who she is not for what she can offer mm -hmm. and it's there's this genuine authentic um passion that you see that gets sparked in her and you she has someone and something to live for and to show up for and to actually try her best to do anything different than what she knows and it's so powerful um so the, the lgbt dynamic i don't think is really as prevalently important as the other message but I do have to call out Charlize Theron on her yes. representation in this film. She was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And yeah. she's like, she's becoming more and more one of my more favorite actresses over yep. time. And like impeccable performance. Like I can only imagine what it was like to portray her character. But even just looking at the real pictures of Eileen and yeah. her character, yeah. almost identical. And yeah. it was just, super powerful so and, uh, and in real life she has come out in support of sex worker rights which very few yeah and and that's that's, that's amazing yeah. that's amazing and that's 
that also ties into the trans community and that ties into uh, people of color as well. And it's super important to identify and advocate for not only sex workers, especially if that's their only way to make an income based upon their consistent disparities and lack of opportunities because of their constant rejection of their previous experience. And you see that in Monster where um, she's like, I'm just trying to do something right and I need your help. I'm trying to talk to you as a woman, please help me out and just completely shut down. And then she goes mm -hmm. back to what she knows. And so yes, we should advocate for safer environments and, and protections and rights as much as possible for especially the transgender uh, community that have to be sex workers because that is the only thing that they can do and you see that also in the show pose too so it's 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 here and we're we're seeing it in media and movies and film and it's definitely an important message to convey mm -hmm. um Milk and the kids are all right. I have not seen those, so I oh. can't speak on those. <laughs> I, I have so much homework, Erin. It's ridiculous. I can only, there's only so much gay that I can cram into my head. And, and as a lesbian, I feel like I'm already over prepared, but I'm undereducated, apparently. <laughs> well, and at I least just, seen Brokeback Mountain. So. Yeah, I saw Brokeback Mountain, so I don't get booze and hisses. <laughs> Yeah, and um, when we talked about Brokeback Mountain on our, our queer baiting episode, um, I had told you, Sarah, that I saw it when I was living in Wichita, Kansas. And, right. and I remember it coming out there, and I was like, okay, this is going to be very interesting to watch this movie here in this city I that I still can't believe I lived in for almost a year. But, <laughs> you know, I, I just remember sitting in a – and the theater was packed the, both of the times I saw it. And I remember sitting next to a man, and I think he was alone. If I remember correctly, he was alone. And he was crying, um, sobbing when the movie was over. Mm -hmm. And he had been crying off and on throughout the movie. And I remember just feeling like it, this film felt like a cathartic experience and then an emotional roller coaster and maybe heartbreaking for him. And of course, I didn't I didn't know him and don't know his story, so I can't speak on that or even assume. But it was just an interesting experience to watch the movie with a complete stranger and watch his emotional reaction to it. Um, and I had read, I don't know, did anyone read the short story that it's based on? Has anyone else read that? No. Nope. I, I, I recommend it because it's, it's a very quick read um, and it's very well written. Um, and, and I read, I read that before watching the movie, so I was prepared for what was going to happen. Um, and yeah, it is, it is a tragedy. It's a very tragic story. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful movie though. It's one of my favorite movies. Um, and I am a huge fan of Heath Ledger. Um, he's really, really missed. He's was a phenomenal actor and he should have won. Um, but it is interesting, you know, because um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, of course, won that year for his portrayal of Truman Capote. So it's, so that was, that was a very interesting year. And I believe that was the same year of, if I'm correct, of Trans America, which we'll mention in a minute. So that was an, that was an interesting year in, in film, but um 
And of course, Crash winning Best Picture over Brokeback was just absolutely horrendous for many, many reasons. Um, but I, I just think that movie is so special. And yes, it does play into the barrier gaze trope, but there's just something beautiful about it, even though it's a tragedy. And it could be also the performances. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal's character is so much more free. And um, I'm a huge Jake Gyllenhaal fan, have been since mm-hmm. Donnie Darko, which is the movie I have watched yeah, more than it. any other movie. I've watched that movie more I, over 30 times, probably 60. I can't even begin to tell you how many times I've watched that movie. Cellar door. Yes, yes. God, I love that movie. But <laughs> And I still haven't seen it on the big screen. Someday I will see it on the big screen. Um, so I just love watching him. I thought Michelle Williams was also very, very good in that movie. Um, watching her um, going through a struggle as well and, you know, feeling so cut off from this man that she loves so much. Um, and then watching the, the character of Enos is so interesting because he's so broken and because he's denied who he is for so long and just watching him struggle through there was just heartbreaking. Um, and just Heath Ledger, that was probably one of the all time great performances I would say. Um, and then monster, I am a huge serial killer buff. Person. <laughs> so I, I watch a lot of movies about serial killers. And of course we've talked about Dexter before we did an episode on Dexter. Um, and I, but I think this one is so different just because you don't see a lot of movies where a female is the serial killer. Um, but there was also s- so much more to her character than her just being a, a murderer. And that's what I thought was so interesting about the movie is that you would have these moments where you f- feel a lot of empathy for her and, and Pasha and Sarah, you've talked a lot about that already. Um, and I agree with what you guys have said and Charlize Theron, she's so phenomenal in that movie. Um, she is just such a great actress. Um, and she just becomes that character and it's not mimicry, even though she looks a lot like Eileen, there's not it's it's, she still you see the character in her eyes so she just inhabits her and christina ritchie we i just want to give a shout out to her because i thought she was great too and one scene that's so interesting in that movie because you know it's about a killer but there's also this love story in there and the scene where eileen um kisses christine christina ritchie's character when um don't stop believing is playing Every time I hear Don't Stop Believing, I think of that scene because I just thought it was really kind of romantic in a way in a movie that is so dark and so tragic. Uh, But, yeah, I just always remember that scene. So every time I hear that song, I always think of that Uh, right after they went skating. It's just, you know, it was this moment of happiness for a character that had not had any happiness in her life up until that moment. And it's just pure bliss um, in a moment, you know, it was, and that's why it was so tragic uh, how it all turned out. Um, Yeah. And there's, there's great documentaries about Eileen that Mm -hmm. I also recommend watching those too. It's very interesting hearing her talk. Um, And then milk, 
I that was my favorite movie that year it came out. And I remember seeing it for my birthday because it was my birthday mm-hmm. movie. It came out around that time. And I remember seeing it at the Mayan, which is a local theater here in Colorado. And I actually don't like the Mayan, but it was the only <laughs> one of the only theaters playing it at that time. It hadn't gotten wider release. But um, yeah, I really love that. And and the actors, uh, Sean Penn in particular, are problematic in real life. Um, yeah. But he, but he was really, really good. I thought his performance was really good. Um, I thought Emile Hirsch was really good in it, and he's very problematic in real life. And then, of course, James Franco is very problematic in real life. Yeah. So you have all these very problematic people in this movie. Um, but, of course, with that movie, who we should be getting giving a shout-out to, we should have mentioned, I didn't get to John Waters either, but there's, there's so much to cover, is Gus Van Sant, who directed Mm -hmm. milk um who's done a lot you know a lot of independent movies before that Uh, my own private idaho which we didn't get we didn't another another really good one which someday we'll just have to talk about him and we'll have to talk about lost uh brilliant talented actors like river phoenix um Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's another another great one and then the kids are all right i just what i i just loved um like you guys have said, the the family dynamics in that movie um, and watching Julianne Moore's character struggle um, with, you know, her feelings for Mark Ruffalo's character and then her own relationship with her wife, um, Annette Bening's character. It was just I just really, really like that movie. I own that one as well. Um, and that's that's a little bit lighter than the other movies we, we have on that list, I would say. <laughs> that's a little bit more of that. And that actually fits a little bit into the independent cinema, too. I mean, a bunch of these do. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and I'm glad that Boys Don't Cry got mentioned, too, because after I made this list, I went, oh, I should have mentioned that. But I was really thinking of that when I put the independent cinema down on um, the list of ones we should mention. But yeah, that's, that's a really. Yeah, I wasn't sure where, where it would fit. So yeah. <laughs> pre-90s, yeah. just on the, on the tip of the <laughs> 2000s. So. Yeah, but that's a Pretty really good. good one to mention there. But um, yeah, and then uh, the other movie in the 2000s that got a lot of attention and uh, Felicity Huffman won an Academy Award for was Transamerica. And I loved Transamerica when I saw it. Um, But there is the issue that you have this cis woman playing this character. And um, yeah, so that, that was, that that was a big issue that came up with that one. And I just want to go around and see what people's thoughts are on the movie in general and then also with the issue of having people outside of the community primarily being the people who have portrayed these roles, uh, every role, every role of anyone in the LGBTQ plus community so far. It's been a lot of people that at least don't openly identify as being in the community. Um, Eli, what are your thoughts on that? I really enjoyed the movie. Um, I enjoyed the, uh, the development of her character. Mm-hmm. Um, as she came out more and as she kind of came into her own, um, I, 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 I really enjoyed it. Um, but I think that that was a movie where we collectively as a community said that enough's enough, let us play ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember that kind of being the focal point of the movie at that point. Yeah. Yeah. 
that that's kind of where I stand on it as well. I mean, as far as the movie, I think gets lost because of the controversy because it was right. I mean, these a lot of these movies are the products of their time. Some like it hot. There's a lot of stereotypes, but it was a product of its time. Is this could the same thing happen now? No. Same with like we were talking about Gone with the Wind and a lot of movies that had slavery and stuff. Now you could not make that same movie in the same way, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it was right on that boundary where people started saying, why don't we have actors playing, you know, and not just um, in the LGBTQIA plus community, but also uh, with little people or people who are deaf or blind yeah. mm-hmm. or differently abled in all kinds of different ways. Um, I think now that, you know, there's such a scope for uh, actors of every, every ilk that, that there's plenty of room. Um, and Felicity Huffman was, was great. And I, I, you know, and the movie itself was, I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that, um, um, it is a transformation and, and it is a story that we see with people that we know in real life. Uh, but yeah, I think that it just kind of overshadowed most of the actual plot when I, you know, was seeing it. So that's it for me. And Sarah? I actually didn't watch this movie and I have a legitimate reason why. When I found out that this movie was not portrayed by a trans woman, I refused to watch it because it was not a good representation of the trans community. So it was upsetting for me and especially as an advocate for many of my transgender friends, I didn't want to watch it and condone or buy into a movie that was going to, it may have been amazing acting, but we should be using the correct people in the correct way. And especially if there's talented people out there and it, this may have been a movie during its product of its time, but it was time for there, there to be something different. And so I didn't watch it. Which, which makes sense. Yeah. Cause I remember this, I watched this in Wichita as well. Um, because it was the same time as Brokeback. And um, yeah, it was, it was, that was a very, 2005 was a very interesting year in film. Um, and I, I loved it because I honestly, naively did not really see a problem with, with it. Um, and I thought she was, Felicity Huffman was really good in it. I also um, think uh, Kevin Zegers, who plays um, her son, that she meets in the movie, which is really, the movie is really about her relationship with her son. Um, That's really what it ultimately is about. Um, And there is a scene where she breaks down when she realizes how much she's missing her son. Because there is another troubling thing that happens in this movie, um, you know, where her son is, doesn't know, um, you know, she doesn't tell him that she's um, his father um, or, mm-hmm. or mother now, but th- she doesn't say that. And so through the through the movie, um, the Kevin Zegers character kind of almost falls in love with her. So it's a very that's very that's kind of troubling. You know, they have 
a scene where he tries to kiss her, um, you know, and puts the moves on her. But there's also a lot of um, other things that he is dealing with in his own life and um, the way he grew up and the abuse he suffered as well. Um, not from Felicity Huffman's character, but yeah. So, so there's some troubling aspects there as there as well. Cause I remember watching that in the theater and that was a very uncomfortable scene and you felt so bad for his character because his character had been through so much in his young life. And then to find out that he made the moves on his uh, father is just, I mean, you know, that's just a really hard thing for a kid to deal with. Um, I can imagine, I mean, you know, that, that was a very uncomfortable scene, but I remember, because I remember that. And then I remember, you know, honestly, when I saw it and it could be because I was in Wichita at the time, but I didn't hear a lot of outrage about it until later. Um, all I heard was a lot of praise of it. So that that's so that was interesting. So I had a different experience yeah. when I went to go see it. And that could be why, because I hadn't heard any of that. I just heard how amazing her performance was. So, yeah. Um, well, let's jump a little bit here since we're getting short on time. I want to make sure we get into some of the more uh, present day and the way we kind of see the future. Um, I want to talk, and we're going to do a whole episode again on this movie as well. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about uh, Moonlight, and then we can talk about, um, well, I actually, I have not seen this movie. So if anyone else has, we can talk about it. But Portrait of a Lady, I have not watched yet, and I need to watch that. But um, why don't we go around, and if everyone wants to give their thoughts on Moonlight. Everyone's seen that one, right? I thought everyone had seen that one, right? Yes. 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 Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, Eli, what are your thoughts on Moonlight? Uh, Moonlight was was tough to watch on a couple of different levels, um, and it was it was an important watch. Um, one, it was it, it was difficult to watch um, when they were younger and just boys being boys exploring. I yes, it happens to all of us, and it's important, but it's not an, an, an easy watch on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was a little bit, that, that was kind of hard to be quite honest. Um, but, um, I, I, I think that it absolutely smashed, um, and dealt with some very tough black stereotypes of, uh, of it. It just, it was powerful. It was very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, first of all, I thought the cinematography and the lighting and just the color, just the wash of it, uh, was lush and dense and really gorgeous just to watch. Um, you just sit on the edge when they, when they meet in the, in the diner and he cooks for him and all that stuff. You just sit on the edge of your seat going, are, what are you waiting for? <laughs> you know, just like, come on guys. Uh, and, and just watching that kind of awkward banter and mm-hmm. all parties knew exactly what was really going on. And, and when finally, um, you know, when when they actually start talking about it, and he says specifically, "You're the only one that's ever touched me that way, um, ever," and that was it was in that and that kind of opened the floodgates. And it's just, uh, you know, and also culturally, um, I know that people of color 
have different kinds of experiences uh, in each culture. Um, being Asian, uh, you know, it's in Korea, being gay is still practically illegal. And uh, mm-hmm. so I'm extremely westernized, but even my family, my Korean family, I'm not out to them. And just because, you know, we're uh, for so many different reasons. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, but ultimately, you know, I, I just, I it was a well-paced movie. People, I heard said it was really slow, but I actually thought that that was very important and realistic and a way to absorb. I also liked that a lot of their dialogue, they didn't have a soundtrack behind it yeah and it felt a little more real and on that maybe that's a little more cinematography stuff than lgbtq stuff but um but it was based on the book or, or the, the yeah play. it wasn't it? black it was boys play. look blue in the moonlight yeah mm-hmm. yeah and, the play mm-hmm. yeah the play yeah sorry and um and yeah and and when i actually saw it lit like that uh it, it was just like wow that was oof. It was good. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, yeah. <laughs> and Sarah? Uh, yeah, I remember watching this uh, Redbox. Um, <clears throat> I thought it was really powerful. It showed a lot of the stereotypes. Not, well, not the stereotypes. The difficulty of people of color coming out. Um, typically you see in the black community and the Latino community where it's not okay to be gay. It is absolutely not okay. And usually that comes with the consequences of severe violence and death. Um, but it also shows the importance of how the character had to become ultra butch and ultra um, the machismo that he had to bring forth in order Mm -hmm. to convey that he was heterosexual while also denying who he was and wanting to be who he wanted to be. So he had to put on a front to make other people comfortable instead of being genuinely who he was. But I can also understand being a poor gay black man in an inner city dynamic that if you could potentially be killed in various for various reasons of any of those so he was doing the best he could with what he had and it it came at a severe cost to him and so I love the beauty of the relationship between the two men and how it evolves and there's like this genuine sensitivity and this um, desire to be a hundred percent authentic with each other. And it's so it, it's gut wrenching to watch. And so I love this movie. I thought it was absolutely powerful to watch and it is definitely important to convey, um, gay black men in, in a way that is a little bit more approachable and, and it gives them deeper understanding to the dynamics that they have to face every day, especially in the black community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I remember watching this movie in the theater, and it was right a little bit. It was um, a little bit after uh, Trump had been elected, um, and that added an even heavier layer to watching this movie. 
um, because of what that election uh, represents. Um, so I just remember that that it it made it an even heavier experience. Um, but yeah, this movie is a beautiful film. It's very painful, but it's beautiful at the same time. Um, and the last shot of the movie, I, it's just it's one of those that's uh, it just really sticks with you. It's so beautiful, and even though there is so much sadness in this movie. I, at least for me, I felt a glimpse of hope. Um, and I, I highly recommend seeking out any interviews with um, the writer who, the playwright also wrote the script, um, mm -hmm. Terrell Alvin McCraney. I really, really recommend, you know, any interview with him and Barry Jenkins as well, because Barry Jenkins is amazing. Uh, we're actually going to be talking about him uh, really soon. We're going to be talking about him as a director because I think he is an incredible visionary director right now. Um, but I just recommend listening to those because this is so he, it's not autobiographical about his life, but it's very much, uh, very taken from a lot of how he grew up. Um, and actually both him and Barry Jenkins grew up in the same Liberty city neighborhood of Miami with mothers who had both struggled with oh, drug wow. addiction. Yeah. And it's, and, I don't think they, as far as I remember from interviews, they didn't meet until this kind of came about, but it's, it's, it's very interesting. So there's a very good uh, fresh air interview with both of them that I recommend listening to um, because this is so much about, it, it's such a personal, personal story. And you can tell that in the way it's shot, in the way it's acted, in the way it's written. And I also want to point out there is not a single white person in this movie. <laughs> and that is pretty remarkable. Um, especially for that to happen and for a movie like this to win Best Picture, which yeah. sadly was overshadowed by the fact that Warren Beatty read the wrong name, as everybody knows. Yeah. He read La La Land instead. Oh. Um, but it's pretty remarkable that this movie won Best Picture. Um, it just really – it's a, remarkable that this movie got made. Um, and a lot of credit, honestly, I mean, as far as like financially getting it off the ground, um, goes to, um, which I don't want to highlight a white person with this, but it's, it's true. It goes to Brad Pitt helped a lot with getting this movie made. Um, that's cool. Yeah. He's helped yeah. with a lot of movies. Yes, he has. Black creators too. Yeah. That's, so. that's how you use your privilege. Yep. Exactly. Uh, seven Years a Slave and that he helped really push. Yeah. And yeah, so he's really worked hard in that, that aspect. Um, and, you know, he's a father of, of black kids and it hits home for him. I heard an interview and he was talking about that, but, but um, Eli said uh, that, Mahershala Ali, when he does the talk about yes. what that he's, he said that was the best, you know, I, I hope that we can remember that. Should we ever have to give the talk to anyone ever? <laughs> yeah. I mean, just the way that it was, that it was approached, the way it was presented, the way that they talked through it, uh, the way that they listened to him, the way that they interacted. Uh, I could not have, have written a better interaction. I thought it was wonderful. Yeah, I agree. And I remember crying. Yeah. And yeah. what was so great about that is Mahershala Ali's character is a drug dealer. And you do not see in movies a drug dealer portrayed with any positivity usually. Um, mm -hmm. And he was 
like one of the mo one of the kindest people in in the film, and you don't see that, and that's what was so beautiful about that um, about that scene and about that character in general was you didn't see him as this evil the evil drug dealer. You know, he's 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 got more to him, and he um, is the first kind person in his life. You know, really. Um, as far as like a male character you ever see. And yeah, that talk, that talk at that, at the table. Oh my gosh. That was, yeah, really, really beautiful. I think everybody should at least watch that scene and take that in, take those words in and learn from those words. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, it's a very good film. Um, And to me, that's, you know, I want to see more movies like that. Um, and I want to shout out the movie Tangerine because that's a movie yeah. <laughs> that that has, uh, you know, a trans actress in the movie. And that's very rare. So um, I want to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I want to talk about that one a little bit. Um, Eli, what are your thoughts on that movie? Um, it was real. Um, it was, I mean, talk about not just having one trans actress, but uh, half the trans actresses in West Hollywood were in that movie. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like we talked about before, um, I, I did, on a personal note, have to kind of sit that one out a little bit. A um, little bit too much overt meth use for me that was just, um, yeah. I know it, it was it was definitely part of the story and showing it once is one thing, but it just seemed a bit glorified for me. So I, I kind of had to sit that one out. Yeah. yeah, I, you know, and, and of course, I we actually even talked, Aaron, about trans black sex workers uh, being probably the most disadvantaged, you know, group of people in the country in so many ways. And um, the fact that they were trans and the fact that they were sex workers was not even like a big deal. It was not even really like the focus of the movie or anything. It was about, um, I was surprised at, at the ending. We, at first, when we started watching it, it's obviously very, very low budget. And I joked with Eli, I was like, you know that the director just wanted to put all, all their friends in a, in a movie. And that these are all their buddies. And it may very well have been. Um, <laughs> but, you know, with all the, the long shots of them walking all over, you know, L.A. And a lot of it really didn't play into anything else I like I said I think there were probably some scenes where they just wanted to throw their friends in there but um that having been said the end surprised me uh and it was very kind of really I've seen this in I these are people I know these are people that uh I consider my peers and so it's probably I was laughing because I was like this is you know this is exactly what happens you know in real life every day and it may seem kind of amateurish as far as a film goes but you know I I believe it because it's almost like they just it was obviously not a documentary or anything but it's the dialogue was written like I would hear people speak out on the street working like that and so and and also the interactions between the sex workers and clients was so real <laughs> when the guy tried to rip her off. I was just like, Oh my God. So, um, <laughs> yeah. and they got in that huge fight in front of the cops. That was hilarious. But, um, but 
Yeah, the, the ending was surprising to me. And, and I love that uh, the fact that they're trans, the fact that they're black, the fact that they're sex workers was already established in part of the movie. It wasn't like the focus, the big deal, like the big drama. The big drama was just their relationships with one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I will say uh, Maya Taylor um revealed that she was a prostitute. She had worked as a prostitute in Hollywood. I don't know if you knew that, but yeah. So that was, that was one of the actresses. Mm-hmm. Honestly, you, when I go and do speaking engagements stu- and stuff, there's always, every time, at least one person, sometimes I'll get two or three emails later and they admit I was a sex worker for three months or I did this or I did that or I was a dancer, or, you know. And so we're everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I've said this before. It's, um, is I think a lot of time in, in times in feminism, in the feminism movement, people, uh, still look down on sex workers. Oh, and sure. I think that is mm-hmm. something that really, really needs to change. I have always thought that. So I just, want to mention that really quickly there that's why one day we are definitely going to do um an episode of, uh, about that portrayal um and also about adult films um and pornography and our relationship with that as well so um sarah do you have anything you want to add on tangerine I- I have not seen it, so I have nothing to contribute. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Um, And I will mention the director of Tangerine, uh, you know, when you were saying it felt very much like he got his friends together, that's kind of how he makes a lot of his movies. And he likes to grab a lot of people that aren't necessarily known or aren't uh, or might not even consider themselves actors or actresses. and I know that is also true for the Florida Project. I mean, yeah, that also has Willem Dafoe in it. But there are a lot of people in that movie um, that that it's the same kind of thing where they are just like kids that were kind of plucked out or, you know, are they and they actually shot that movie, which I don't know if you know about that movie, but it's kind of off topic here. But that movie is uh, follows a um families that live in a um, hotel that is in the shadow of Walt Disney world. And mm-hmm. this is, and this is something that that's really real and true. And wow. you know, there's a, there's a documentary about that too. And I can't remember what it's called offhand right now, but yeah, so that's very, very much something that the director Sean Baker does. So yeah, he's another new up and coming voice in independent cinema. But, but once again, this is an example of having, people in the community portraying the characters and that's very mm-hmm. important. And I am hoping that's more um, the way it is going to be going. Um, the path that's going to be taking. Um, you do have, there are even issues um, within the community where certain people playing other people within the community. Um, I'm trying to, let me look this up really quickly. Um, and while I look that while I look this up, because I want to mention this really quickly, that there's this controversy that came out. But um, is there anything else? Any other movies anyone wants to give a quick mention to before we do wrap things up? Um, the Danish Girl. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I really just the historical context. It was it was uh, as wide as white could be. But I remember 
the time of it, the time set it hit me when, uh, when, uh, she said that, um, hopefully one day she would be able to have kids have make a baby, be pregnant and have a baby. And, mm-hmm. and of course that is not viable even in today's medicine, uh, for a male to female transition to, you know, carry a pregnancy like that. So, um, but that just broke my heart because in, in, you know, that scene so sick sitting there trying to recover, um, and just so, so sick and yet being so hopeful, well, someday maybe I could have a baby, you know? So yeah, I like that one a lot too. Yeah, and does anyone else have anything else they want to call out really quickly, Eli or Sarah? No, I think I'm good. <laughs> okay. Okay. The only one I want to call out, and that's uh, it's not a movie, but it's a series. It's Tales of the City. It's mm-hmm. a representation of the trans community and multiple, like uh, the whole entire LGBTQIA drag queen community as a whole in that show and how everybody moved to San Francisco and figured out where they belong and where they fit. And so that they did have transgender uh, representation. They had some amazing uh, actors and actresses in there. And I thought it was really, really well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, and the thing I was looking up is this happened not too long ago. Matt Bomer, who is an openly gay actor in Hollywood, um, who was in the show White Collar that I absolutely love that show. Yep. Yes. Um, well, he um, courted a lot of controversy because he took a role as a transgender sex worker in this movie called Anything, which I've never seen. But um, he did come under fire for doing that. Um, a lot of people in the trans community found it offensive that he would take away a role from another trans actor. Um, so I don't know if anybody else had heard of that, but I just wanted to, to mention that because I don't know if anybody has any thoughts on that of, of somebody. What year was that? Um, like a couple years ago. Okay. So it's pretty recent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so my opinion is that if there is a trans actor that is capable and willing to do that role, they should absolutely have that person represent the community. If there isn't and nobody's willing to actually step into that role and do that role, then like you can't blame an actor for taking a, a, a job and doing the best he could as an ally to the transgender community as somebody who is a gay man and representing them the best authentically way possible. I, and, and this is my assumption about the, the movie and, and at least there's somebody in the community that's trying to authentically represent you instead of a cisgender male or female. Um, so I, I, we should absolutely be advocating for each other, but if trans community isn't going to stand up and use their voice, they can't blame the rest of the community for doing the best they can. Well, and that was a lot of what the controversy was, is that a lot is that the role was never offered to anybody else. As far as I remember, it was offered to him and a lot of people in the trans community. This this is my understanding of the 
of the events were upset because they felt he should have stepped aside and said, no, you should offer it to a trans actor first. And he didn't do that. So I know that's where he came under fire for that. Um, and of course, there have been examples of uh, of recently of cisgender people turning down roles like um, Scarlett Johansson, who she's a very, 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 very problematic person. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, but and and she only turned it down because she got backlash. I mean, she didn't turn yeah. it down honestly yeah. out of the kindness of her heart. Nope. So, but that's where that backlash came from. I don't know if anyone has any other thoughts on that or. Well, being Asian, I helped some celebrity people I know with a project they called, it was a hashtag whitewashed out a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. Yeah. Uh, and yellow face is a real thing. And oh gosh, I can't remember the name of his character. He played Ajax in Deadpool. He was offered a role that was very blatantly, you know, always portrayed as an Asian in, in every other in culture, in every other, you know, uh, derivation of this Marvel comic. And as soon as he found out all that, he not only turned down the role, but he wrote this little, uh, you know, statement that was so well-written. It really, I was impressed by it. And I think that, um, like I said before, people who are differently able, people who are different ethnicities and um, from different racial stock and, and uh, uh, should have the opportunity to at least audition for the role. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know, the people who are in charge are the people who are in charge. And, but Scarlett Johansson playing in a Japanese woman. I mean, they, they changed the whole script of the movie in order to accommodate when she did that and you know it's so yeah that's that's a thing and and I really like that people are being more vocal about it Peter Dinklage being very vocal about uh, being a little person and seeing um, another one of my favorite actors uh, Jean Rhys Davies play uh, mm-hmm. a dwarf in Lord of the Rings uh, and and how that was not okay and so I'm really mm-hmm. impressed by people actually taking a stand more and more for what is right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Eli, do you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I, I just think that it's it, it, it's uh, it's 2020. I mean, if, if you're trying to tell me that there aren't qualified trans actors out there, you aren't exactly. looking. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And Sarah shared um, that there is a, let me pull it up here. There is a petition going around um, for, uh, did you want to say Sarah, since I didn't have it up before I, for um, the actress from Pose to be in the. Oh yeah. uh, For (laughs) Electra to be. Yes. um, Oh, I forgot where it was. I think it was Storm. On, Storm. Storm on mm-hmm. on Marvel Comics, and I think she would be an amazing addition to that. I think I shared it to your actual page. Yes. So okay. Okay. Look it up on yeah, there. that's where that's where it was. Yeah. I yeah. But there is a petition. So Halle Berry being being cast as Storm. I wept over that. I was like, that should have been. Uh. Anyway, neither here nor there. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Also, that that. Uh, actor actress would be amazing in that role. So, yeah, she, yeah. <laughs> she would be fierce. 
She'd bring yeah. some uh, storm realness. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, because Dominique Jackson is amazing. Um, yes. And she also, I'm going to fangirl again because she did like our pose post in our Instagram story. And so, and did, so Billy did Billy Porter. That's the biggest thing. Yeah, I had to fangirl a lot about that. Um, <laughs> friends soon. It's going to happen. Yes, it's, it's out there. It's out there. He's going to be on this podcast soon. <laughs> yeah. That's what we're manifesting. Okay, great. Well, you know, there are so many movies we didn't cover, so many things we didn't cover or talk about. Um, and we could do a whole episode about directors and writers as well um, that that we should do. We definitely are going to do an episode on John Waters because, like I said in our cult thing, I was the only one on that episode that liked John Waters, too. So <laughs> I spent a big time. Yeah, I spent a big time saying how much I love him and how important he is. Uh, okay, but I think this is a good place to sort of close out. Yeah. Um, and before we go around and everybody says where they can find it, find them. I just want to close out by saying I have enjoyed so much doing this month, um, celebrating pride and talking about various shows and issues. And I just want to thank everybody that's been on it and everybody that's listened. And I hope to do another one of these next year as well. So um, thank you so much for that. So I'm going to go around and have everybody say where they can be found. And if you want to promote anything, um, start with you, Eli. Yeah. Um, Eli was on. Uh, you can find me on a look for us on our website, uh, parasaltandstroll.org. Um, I'll let Pasha give all the rest of the socials. <laughs> well obviously on I'm I'm Pasha Pasha Eve on Facebook and most social media but uh most of the social media stuff we do of course is for Parasol Patrol we're an um a nonprofit organization that shields kids from protesters at LGBTQIA events so when proud boys and neo fascists and um the Westboro Baptist Church comes out to scream at children we have ear protection so that they won't hear it and umbrellas to block so they won't have to read those signs and see those faces. And so that's what we do. And uh, parasolpatrol.org, um, our main primary uh, social media outlet by far and away is Facebook. So we have our main Parasol Patrol page, but in every state we have a, a specific chat. So there's a Parasol Patrol Colorado chat uh, where we are a lot more relaxed about what we actually talk about and stuff um yeah that's that's it awesome and again i will link to um parasol patrol's website in the show show notes excuse me again oh thank you (laughs) you're welcome and then sarah i just want to give a quick shout out to the parasol patrol and their mission and the amazing protection (laughs) that they provide these kids i think that's amazingly powerful so thank you for doing that and protecting our LGBTQ youth. Um, yeah, you can find me on Facebook, sarah.e.alder. Um, that's all I really hang out on. Um, I want to have, have put a huge shout out to all my LGBTQ friends and family. Happy Pride Month. Yay! I know it's been an interesting evolution of what Pride is for all of us. And I know a lot of places have either canceled their pride or gone virtual and it's not the same experience, but 
it's definitely a representation of how we get to reinvent ourselves every year. And I, and it shows the persistence and the resilience we have as a community. And I'm so happy to be a part of it. Yeah, wonderful. Um, and thank you, Sarah, for being on so many of these episodes this month, too. So thank you. You're very welcome. Much. It's been so much fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then um, if you haven't listened to it, make sure to listen to our basically interview with Eli and Pasha that came out where we were talking a lot about Parasol Patrol. And I really um, enjoyed that talk a lot. So look for that one if you haven't already listened to it. And this is Erin. You can find me on Twitter at EAprilBeauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Make sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. Um, and also, please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Um, that helps us get found out there in the big, 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 wide world of podcasts. So when you get a mo moment, please make sure to do that. Um, and if you have any feedback, any movies you want to give a shout out to, um, anything like that at all, feel free to email the show at itsafandomthingpod at gmail.com. And next week, we are going to be talking about Broadway musicals, which is another wide-ranging topic. Um, but we'll probably be focusing a lot on Hamilton, for sure, and, of course, other ones. And that's going to be a different one because we are going to have a teenager on that show. We're going <laughs> to have Sarah and Joyce's daughter, Lydia, is going to be on. So that'll be a little bit different. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. So looking forward to that one. Um, so until next time, remember it's a fandom thing and Black Lives Matter. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.